I'm delighted to reconnect virtually with my dear friend Fatima. We last recorded several conversations, two with her mother, Isosa, in 2019, as part of the series on people with complex conditions transitioning from pediatric to adult medical care. The titles included Living a Happy Full Life, Good Listeners, Good Conclusions, and I'm Not Drug Seeking, I'm in Pain. Becoming friends with Fatima has been one of the delights of my last decade. I especially value sharing our diverse experiences, finding many common chords, chords, music, rope, leading to ongoing separate growth and development. From Fatima, I've dared to proudly introduce myself as a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Loon, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege who knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. You will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities and the awesome surface of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. Like what you're reading, hearing, or watching? Go to my webpage, health-hats.com support to choose a method of support that suits you. Thank you. Fatima, I love seeing you. Danny, it's nice to see you too. Yes. Thanks for for the return trip. You were, I think the last time we, we talk regularly, but the last time we recorded a conversation was back when we did that series and your mom, we did a, one with you, one with your mom, then the third one, the three of us together. And I think that was like in... 2019 or even 2018. I don't know, like a long time ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. Anyway, so I wanted to revisit the situation. It's what was it? So say it was 19. So that's four years ago. And so a lot of what that conversation was about was that you were reflecting on being a child and then a young adult and and then your mom was reflecting on being a mom to mm-hmm. somebody who was growing up with sickle cell and and now you bet you were a mom when we had the conversation but it wasn't a, about you being a mom but now you've been four more years of being a mom and and dealing with having sickle cell and them being part of the unit. Sickle cell doesn't, your mom was, one of the things she said was, it's not just the person with the diagnosis, it's the whole family. And the whole family has to manage. And so what's your, what are your thoughts about that now that 
you, your kids are getting older. Like you were just saying, your son's graduating from preschool. I can't believe it. Anyway, so what are your thoughts about that? That her statement that sickle cell is a family becomes a family issue. I these last few years, I've been understanding that on a deeper and deeper level. My kids are now five and six. So they're, they ask questions and there are times when they can now comprehend how my, my restrictions based on when I feel good, sickle cell pain affects their lives. So that's required me to have discussions with them that at times I wish I could have delayed. But well, I imagine your daughter is probably has the most challenging questions. If I'm remembering. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There have been, there was a time actually when there were, it was like a lazy Sunday afternoon and she was just talking about when she gets older and she has sickle cell, this is what she's going to do. I'm like, that's not how that works. What do you mean when you get older, have sickle cell? And I, she said, you're an adult and you have sickle cell. So when I'm an adult and I have sickle cell and I had, I, I had to tell her that's not, you're not going to, you're not going to have sickle cell when you grow up. And she was so shocked by that. And I was, we were both looking at each other with, as if we had two heads and she like ran to the room, told my son, her younger brother was like, guess what? We're not going to have sickle cell when we're older. Did you know that? And I was just, and I thought that I was doing a good job of explaining things to them and all that. I didn't know they had internalized the fact they really thought that when they got older, they'd also have pain and sickness and hospitalizations. And so they were like excited about that. And that made me sad. But then also after the sadness and the mom guilt and all the very unhelpful feelings, I had to really think back, okay, we need to, we need to have the more conversations or things are not landing the way they should. And that was a, a moment for me to really realize that, okay, what, we need to talk about this in doses. So at that point, yeah, that was an eye opener. I think that happened about like 18 months ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah. But so, yeah, but right now, like, for example, if I'm having pain, if I said we're going to do something and then I have pain that day and I have to say no, that really is hard for me because I really, I was just, Dan and I were just talking about before, about treating children as not objects, but as actual human beings, they are people. So I'm not going to lie to my kid. How are uncomfortable if you ask me about why is that man wearing high heels and lipstick? I'm not, I will not lie to you. That's just mine and my husband's ground rule. However uncomfortable we may feel, it's their right. They have a right to be told the truth. The best that we understand it. So they are, they're little truth tellers and they force the truth out of you. And I have to deal with those feelings of discomfort on my own terms. So with counseling, therapists, journaling, it's not their fault if I feel sad that they think it's unfair that they can't do something because I don't feel good. That's a completely justifiable. Their kids, it's okay for them to be disappointed. Are you harder on yourself than they are on you? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I don't even think because I they know that I don't lie to them and I keep my word. 
they are very forgiving. Like they, they don't, it wouldn't even cross their mind that I truly didn't. They forget about it after the yeah. next hour. But to me, I still hold on to that as a feeling as a mom, because this means so much to me. Like I know every, most parents it's, it's their job, but we purposely set up our lives in such a way where their needs can be taken care of at a moment's notice, emotional and otherwise. So it's very intentional. So when I feel like I'm failing, that, that hurts. Yeah. But I'm remembering back and you can correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, but I think back when you and I worked together and my grandkids were little, I seem to remember having a conversation with you that I was noticing that the grandkids like treat, I was going to say they treated me different than they did Anne. And in the sense that with her, they would just run along and she would have to like be careful that they didn't cross the street without looking. And but with me, they would just stick with me and they would be making sure that I didn't cross the street without looking. And I think that they they got a sense of it was different. And yeah. um, it, it wasn't like it was any big deal. It's just that Opa can't chase them. And it was like an eye opener to me that they would think about me so differently. But at first, I think I felt weird about it. Mm-hmm. Like, do they, are they feeling less free with me? And then I thought, no, I mean, they're, they've been, maybe they're three, but they got that there's something else here happening here and they got to take care of Opa. And that was a good thing. Yeah. So do you think that they, you're talking about them feeling disappointed, you feel like crap, and so they can't do, you guys can't do what you might have had planned. And so do you think like the their disappointment is, okay, I'm disappointed. Okay, let's move on. As opposed to, mom, you suck. I, <laughs> I'm disappointed. It's all your fault, mom. I have noticed too that they feel the need to go out of their way to help mommy out or the days I know that I'm, that they can see that I'm not doing well. Oh, mommy, I'll fill up your water. You need water. Remember what the doctor said? You need a lot of water. You got to stay hydrated. And I had to tell my daughter one time, cause she's like, if I do a, if I do this for you and do this for you and I let you take a nap, will that mean you won't ever have to go to the hospital ever again? I had to let her know that I will still go to the hospital. There's nothing that you can do or I can do. We can just try our best, but it's a fact of life. That is the fact of life. It's not that, oh, you didn't let mommy take a nap now. It's never your fault that I go to hospital. That's not how this is. So I see that she takes on a lot of that like responsibility and burden. Although I appreciate that she's compassionate and loving and wants to help, I don't want her to put things on her shoulders that don't belong on her tiny little shoulders. Um, yeah, it seems like you don't have that much control over that. <laughs> Lie to me, Danny. No. 
I think you're right. I think I am over. I'm making it bigger in my mind because something now they're at an age where they are comparing. Like I even heard them of talking about who in their classes are rich and who's poor. And Aziz and I just sat in like silence in the living room. They didn't know we were listening. And I was like, what a fascinating conversation. Like, what? How do you even know? So it was like very interesting. They're starting to compare and contrast and trying to find where they've been in the world. Okay. So in that, in that sense, I think I we always talk about how not everybody is the same and the things that God gives one person doesn't give the other and it has no, no bearing on your goodness or if you're deserving or not. It's not, that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. So we talk about that in terms of like resources and money and who has, it doesn't have. If there's a kid, a child who doesn't have food or the best home, it doesn't mean that they're not a good people person. They're not being punished for that. It's not, it's just that our lives are different. And so we, in terms of comparing and contrasting, I it hurts me to know that I might not do what they think other moms can or should do, but I don't even think it's gotten to that point yet. But I don't think that they're thinking some moms do this or some moms do that, or I'm like I can show up to some school events, but there are some parents who will never show up to any school events because they are working, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Working, I don't work, but that's not everybody's life, and mm-hmm. so. I know that I'm I catastrophize their disappointment because of the pressures that I put on myself and mm-hmm. but at, it doesn't it's still it doesn't necessarily lessen the guilt per se yeah. but I have to move I don't want to um drag myself or them down with guilt it's such a very un- it's very unhelpful like it's a It's useful for collecting data, but how is that useful or helpful for anybody? I need help to keep creating without impacting our retirement funds. I've expanded my podcast this year to include video, and costs and time needed have surged. Although my queue of episodes, Ready to Produce, grows, I can only manage monthly episodes I need to further build my production team. You can help. Visit health-hats.com slash support for ways to contribute. Choose monthly subscriptions with bonus content, Zoom meetings with me and others, personal Barry Sachs MP3s, coaching sessions, and more. Occasional donations are always welcome. And you can still subscribe for free to enjoy bonus episodes. You can also recommend us through email, social media, or postcard. Postage on us. Visit health-hats.com support. Your support is deeply appreciated. Thank you. So I want to, so let's change the subject. Okay. One of the things that we talked about back when we talked, recorded before, is, was about building community. And since then, you've moved several times. And sometimes we talk because all of a sudden you're into this different community and the you have an experience um in those communities 
where you have to like totally rebuild everything. So how has that, tell us a little bit about that business of when you move and rebuilding community of support, whether it's professional support or personal support or child support, like how has that, what have you learned from the difference? Because you've done it a several times. Several times. And I actually am thankful for those times because sometimes you build community with people that you're like, maybe not, but then you get to move. So it's like now I've learned what I learned from this scenario and I can take that into my next scenario. One thing this year that has happened a lot, it's like I've shuffled a lot of my friends and I feel like I've been shuffled out of some friend groups as well. And I, I think that's the nature of being like 33 and people having families and careers and having to really reprioritize and values is a huge difference. One thing after having my heart crushed a couple of times and breaking up with a few friends over core values, things not like anyone did anything horrible. I had to, I am starting to be able to sift that sift through that a lot faster and more keenly. And one thing someone advised me, cause I'm very like a wholehearted person. If you're, if I feel loyal to you, I'm forever loyal to you. Like you have to do something really horrible for me to discard you or leave you. Or if you've been good to me, that's just my, that's how I am. Generally speaking, my, my door is open. You're welcome to my home. I will. That's how I am for better or worse. What I've been learning is that those who you go into community with, it's not everybody you go into community with that has to become your best friend or even a friend per se. It might be a, a quid pro quo. Okay, I'm taking your kids and they go to the same daycare. We live around the area, pick them up, we drop them off. Doesn't mean we have to like, wait each other's hair and be best friends. Like they're going to be people for season, a reason, and then the very few people for life. That's very, that's a gift. And I think I was setting that as the expectation and getting just, sad about it and despondent and when it's such an unfair ask over anybody to put that such a lifelong friendship sisterhood on people's shoulders so i'm thankful for the moves and having to do it m multiple times over and hopefully we'll be moving again at the end of the summer not far but a, a new community and we're actually moving for the community because it's closer to the hospitals closer has a larger muslim population there are muslim schools there and as our kids get older, that's like very important to us. I've learned so much and I'm so thankful for the people along the way. And it's actually taught me also how to be a better friend and community member as well. Like you don't have to be without being controlling. Like you can be there for people, support people. And when they do dumb things, you just have to look at them, do the dumb thing they do and be like, okay, cool. Like, and just accept that. And I feel like not being friends with people makes it easier for me to have those boundaries. But the community I built has been invaluable. The people who've helped me along the way, there is no way. There is no way I could have done it without them or it wouldn't have been as fun. It wouldn't have been as, they've taught us, the women have taught me so much, so much. And I'm so thankful for them, like for just basic homemaking skills that we no longer know. Um, and I used to skirt that those responsibilities as the second daughter in a Nigerian household. Oh, she can do it. My sister can do it. I don't have to do it. And um, to my own detriment in some ways. So I've learned how to like meal prep and what to freeze and how to have a quick meal in a freezer bag because I prepped days before that. Or I've learned so much. And for those things, I'm thankful. And I feel I have to pay it back 
and be generous, but I'm learning to, I, I never thought my generosity had strings before, but it did. It came with the expectation of, oh, now you have to take my advice or you have to do this because I know best. I know so much in life. I've been here for like three decades, so it's obvious I know so much. But just understanding that everyone's life is different. They, no one owes me anything. And but the people who are there, be thankful for it and appreciate yeah. it, and see how you can be there for others. So they've helped me. So many people, and then it's so amazing too. Like people who you would least expect it have stepped up to the plate. Where I'm like, wow, you're really going to babysit my child for a week because I'm in the hospital. Who does that? So some people have really surprised me in amazing ways. So I try to think about those positive mm -hmm. of the negatives. We're learning. I'm learning. Yeah. So another part of that community, though, is the healthcare community. Mm -hmm. And and so in your case, a lot of your healthcare community is happens around pain management. And it seems like that's been like building that community has been. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're going to pull out of your hat with that's the silver lining in that. But what about that? I mean, you went from the, your Worcester community. Or where you know people knew you from a young age and you knew when your mother had helped build those relationships then you went to Florida then you went to Texas and there were if not many disasters they were major disasters yeah and so how have you how has that happened so here you are a woman of color a muslim somebody who's in gets in severe pain like how's that been in terms of building that that kind of community it's been hell like i didn't i don't appreciate it like i would rather much rather not but i've i found that once you have a doctor who believes you supports you other people tend to fall in line okay that's what i found so i i make sure one thing that has helped me is making sure that all my doctors are under the same healthcare system. Okay. So they just, you know, so that's been of crucial help. That's something I didn't do in Florida. I wasn't even aware of that would be helpful or possible. And that was a disaster. The miscommunications, the ability for doctors to do things that were somewhat kind of unethical, but nobody else was like looking at their nose so they could, they didn't care. I just became a number. Whereas when I found a sickle cell team, at the head of it, there's a Dr. Nero, and I've never actually met Dr. Nero. She's a black woman. She's a sickle cell specialist, but I, my personal hematologist is under her team, and I can tell she, <laughs> she has an impact because even in the ER, if you if they know like you are under her, they treat you differently. Because I don't know how many times she's talked to them, lectured them, let them know about their lives. And the other thing that's very helpful about Dallas is that the healthcare is super diverse. So there are a lot of black doctors here, usually like immigrant or Caribbean. There are a lot of Arab and Middle Eastern. And so 
actually the white doctors are in the minority. I don't know if I have a white doctor. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. So wow, that's really different than Florida. Completely different from Orlando. Orlando was just like a walking, talking, hot mess, disaster, every disaster. They lived and breathed stereotypes. Not that Dallas is ideal. It's like a, like a paradise, but it's completely a step up. It's definitely more, they're tied to the university of Texas. So there's more prestige and there's more awareness of like latest research and it seems like they're all in communication with each other, which is completely helpful. One thing I found, um, I'm now meeting with a new set of doctors for a different specialty and I, my demeanor towards them. I, I feel like I'm, I tend to be a warm person when I first meet people, but I was completely just cold. And when I finally, on the second meeting, I told them like, I know I'm coming off as very cold. And the reason is that I don't trust doctors especially doctors in your particular field and the lady asked what can I do to earn your trust I'm like you can tell me the truth when you don't know something tell me you don't know instead of telling me false information that I have to find out later it is false because then that makes me on edge whenever you speak I'm double checking triple fact checking as you speak I'm writing things down I'm I don't want to do that back and forth so when you don't know just tell me you don't know and she said thank you and also when you I've also found this, that by sticking to the plan and by working the plan that you come up with the doctor, whether the pain plan or whatever, and going to appointments when I'm healthy, doing the check-ins, doing all that, they're, the doctors are a lot more receptive because they feel like you know about your care. Although there are some who still feel like they know everything. Like one doctor was arguing with me. I was telling him my hemoglobin levels is usually at 11. He's like, the last few times, it looks like it's been at a nine, eight or nine. I'm like, but it's typically at 11. Then the next day I told him, I was like, oh, the reason why it showed the last few months is at eight and nine, because I'm off of hydroxyurea. I've been off of hydroxyurea, but if you look at when before I stopped hydroxyurea, it's at a 10 or 11. And his the female resident like smiled. She was like happy that I stood up to him. He was like the director of blah, blah, blah. Who the hell knows? And then his face turned red. but And that was suspicious to me because I'm like, why is that? Why are you upset? You're more, you care more about being right than about let's getting to the bottom of this small discrepancy. So is the ego, is your ego going to be at the forefront of my healthcare? This is not. I don't feel safe around that. So I just noted that. And I also noted, so I just try to note the doctors that are patient-centered as opposed to ego-centered versus the ones that are not. Same thing with the nurses. And I'm a lot more open to requesting for a different nurse. If you are shady or you're not receptive, please I'll have a different nurse. And if you're upset that now your director is wondering why are you asking to switch out, that's a you issue. That's not my problem. I don't care about your feelings. I care more about my life. But outside of that, I try to be extremely polite, extremely respectful to the point where the nurses on the floor, when I'm inpatient, they always say everybody wants me as a patient because it's so easy and I do their job for them. All I do is like call when they need medication and that's it. Like it's very simple and straightforward. So I just try to be as compliant, polite as possible, but I will not let you get away with crap. Like I'm going to let you know I'm watching you. Okay. So this might not be appropriate. And if you don't want me to include this, let me know. But one of the things that when I reflect on your and my 
relationship. Starting when we work together in a a difficult setting. And Mm. then as we became friends and stayed friends is I feel like we've taught each other a lot about speaking truth to power. Mm. I've learned from you, you've learned from me. And it seems like the hardest time to do that is when you feel like crap, (laughs) right? I feel maybe it started when we were on the same team and I was your boss and you could say something to me. And then I was dealing with what I was dealing with my boss. And we, as a team, we dealt with how are we going to handle this difficult situation? And then with our health care. It seems like a lot of what you have to do is speak truth to power. Is that, am I like in a wrong? No, you're completely right. It's not actually, when I'm in pain, it's actually easier to do, but it's harder to do it politely and diplomatically. Because what I say (laughs) and how I want to say it is completely different than the more productive way to be. So I try to make sure that when I am not having, when I'm not in the middle of the pain crisis and I am touching base and with a provider via email, via request, a phone call, meeting telehealth or personal, I have the energy to sum up the diplomatic Ah. so that when I do not have the strength to be diplomatic, hopefully they can remember those other times. But there's some doctors where I found that like, the whole, oh, hi, how are you? That's not going to really help you. It might be better. It might be, it might, I found that sometimes it's better to be known as like the angry black woman, but at least you know that she's watching what you do and noting and dotting and asking questions than to be liked per se. Like whether I'm liked or not, I truly could care less. But I have to remember that it is easier. It's better to catch with honey, blah, blah, blah. Better catch more bees with honey. But at the same time, I feel like I have to add a little bit of that kick in there because you don't, I'm not playing. And that's part of the reason why I'll have to ask my husband sometimes to take off work, come with me to this appointment with this particular provider because I've seen how I'm treated differently when they know there are multiple people looking over your shoulders versus when there's none or it looks like you don't have support when I can speak very comfortably about my hemoglobin or I can speak very in an educational way about my numbers and I know them. And in a way it's empowering, but it also makes me sad because it's like, why do I have to, why do you have to perceive me in a certain light for my, for me to be given the healthcare that is my right that I'm paying for? What are you talking about? So it's a double-edged sword and yeah. I think I align in respectability politics, which is like a whole nother conversation. I remember the a phone call from you when you were in Orlando and you were like, I have to put makeup on to go to the emergency room. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how much that freaked me out. It, it, it was so upsetting. Yeah. 
They won't believe. And you know, it's so human beings swear that it's other people. It's not me. That doesn't work on me. It works on others. Or having to dress properly or make sure you smell okay and that you are. Or jamming my fat over fluffed finger during my pregnancy into a ring that was way too tight for me because the way I'm treated, it's different. Especially in a place like Orlando where there wasn't that kind of. It was just a hot mess, but yeah. I'm, I'm learning to play the game. And in that sense, I've, again, like with the community building, I feel like I've gotten better at reading doctors quick, more quickly. And they also get freaked out when you've looked them up beforehand. Yeah. Like, oh, right. Here. Yes, yeah. Because I've I'd experienced like that too. Yeah. They don't like it per se. Okay. What should we have talked about that we haven't? Thinking about that what we're doing is following up many years after our previous conversation about this stuff. So thinking about our listeners who are like, what have you, what else do you think you've learned in terms of managing since 2018 or 19, whenever that was? Two things. One, I had to get very clear on what I wanted in this life because okay. with having, my time is limited and my resources, my energy, it's just a lot, all of our time and resources and energy is limited, but sickle cell, especially in my young age, made it extremely clear that it's very limited. So I had to be very, become very clear in what I wanted and why, and my why, because I can't, I couldn't do it all. And or do it all in the way that I imagined before I started motherhood and being a wife. And so in terms of looking at careers and going back to school, I'm trying to be, I am very intentional with what I do and what I put my energy in and what I don't. Hence cutting off a lot of like old people from my past or rearranging people in boxes or reprioritizing what matters in my life because the energy and time and health I do have belongs to like my husband and my kids and myself and everything else has become secondary and some people are not even on the map and that's okay. And I don't feel guilty about that because they're there. It's priorities. And it's not that they're bad or evil or mean, or it's not even about that. It's just about what in this season of my life, what is needed. And the other thing I had to do is I think, I don't know if we spoke about this when I was talking to my mom, you're talking to my mom and I, but it was about, so my mom has backed out of my care in a sense. I still talk to her and ask questions, but, and my husband has stepped into that role. And whereas my mom has been studying, God bless him. (laughs) My mom has been studying and learning about this information for decades. And she's, is my mother. So she knows me in and out and she has an amazing memory. I, I, did and continue to sometimes put unrealistic expectations on my husband. I had to learn how to communicate, to ask for actually what I wanted. Cause I, sometimes I didn't know. So it's like, why am I upset for unfulfilled needs that I don't even know what the hell they are? That's sounds deranged. And no, I, I, I totally get it. I find the same thing with Anne. Yeah. She loves me and she knows me, but she can't read my mind. Exactly. Nobody can. <laughs> it's an un- Ask, right it's completely there and in the moment you don't know I didn't know that's what I was doing asking for the impossible so again required me to go inward yeah. and come in 
people. What do I want? Right. What do I need? And then what again, if I might want it, but it's not possible. And could I be okay with that? And can I get that elsewhere? So I've joined a sickle cell support group. So I feel like I needed three different new avenues to, to replace the one job my mom was doing, the emotional labor, the thinking, the physical labor. It was a lot. And I didn't, I oh, so I'm completely thankful for it. And I appreciate it so much now, but I had to become very clear about my needs and how to get them. And it's my responsibility to get them fulfilled. That's my job to ask for it and to figure out how to get it right. And to put it all on one person is completely deranged. Like it is, it's hard. I, I, I think we've talked about this. There was a time where I don't know how long ago this was, but I was just being a jerk to Anne. You know, I, I just know I was short with her and, she didn't deserve it. And I didn't know why was I doing this? It's not like she did anything. Yeah. And I ended up realizing that um, sometimes I need a caregiver. And I wasn't like really ready to at that time to, yeah. to admit that to myself. Mm. And so then. I said, oh, honey, I'm really sorry. I've been such a jerk. And and I said, oh, I said what I about the caregiver thing. And actually, for the first time, she got really upset with me. And she said, I am, I am not your caregiver. I'm your partner. And I, I was like, so like I had gone through all this stuff. And I told it's in a way it sounds like your daughter. Like I, I had no idea that I don't know. I had the wrong, I had totally the wrong image of everything. And it was like I was just wrapped up in my own feeling sorry for myself, which that's nothing wrong with feeling sorry for yourself for a few minutes. What the heck? But I don't know. It's yeah, okay. Did you feel like you got more than what you even anticipated by having that conversation. Yes, it was really. And then what came out of that is we were doing our like end of life stuff because mm-hmm. we're old and mm-hmm. you got to do your end of life stuff. And when I was like all full of whatever, I want to do it at home. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm sorry, I can't promise that. I don't know what it's going to entail. Yeah. Like I might want to do it, but I might not be able to do it. Oh man. And so then it was like, it's this whole other like sobering. What is it that I'm expecting of my family? Yeah. And then it was like, okay. So then after I had some uncomfortable months, (laughs) it was like, okay, that's reasonable. And that's what I love about her is she's honest about it. Then she she can do something. It's, you know, that it's for real. Like she, I love that. I love that. That's such a great quality to have. She'd rather tell you that. And I don't want her to burn herself out. I know you don't want Aziz to burn himself out. Your kids need them. Yeah. 
And, and yeah, so anyway, sometimes it's hard not to be self-centered. I, I just am. But even, I feel like, again, this is where I had to cut out the noise for myself because you're talking about, I have a disability. And even if I do work, we don't know for how long or how, we, in which capacity. So we live our lives based on one income and we have other sources of income through like real estate and other things. But what I remember one of my friends before my ex friends, before I cut her off, she said, recently, it just seems like you become so money hungry and everything's about money and investments and this. And I just, in my head, I laughed so hard. Like I actually laughed out loud. Just, I was like, do you know, do you know what's at stake? Like you have a healthy body and you have the luxury and we live way beneath our means, right? And I'm like, what do you, all this is for my kids, for my husband, so they're not stuck, so that we're not in a desperate situation. Are you going to pay my mortgage if I cannot? No, you're not even going to be here. You'll be blowing in the wind somewhere, as you should be. So you have no rights to speak on what I don't do, how my life goes or doesn't go. It, I feel like once you get clarity on what you want, it's so much easier to tune out the noise and kind of laugh at it because you know your why, you know what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. And it did make me sad that as a friend, she couldn't understand that. But I, again, I'm like, it's your, because you're not going to do, you're not going to pay my kids school fees if needed. So you don't get a say. But sometimes getting that sense of clarity can be sobering. Those difficult conversations can be hard. Like I have to have with my husband, like one of like, what if I need care earlier than later? Or we have to, but these, but it's such a freedom. It's such a freedom to know, even if we are working towards something, it doesn't necessarily go. I will I'll be damned if I don't look at myself and look at my kids and say that I did everything I could think of and I did my best. For you physically, in your planning, in your future, I did my best. So if it all goes to shit, then I can say, at least I can look at myself in the mirror and look at you without guilt and say that I did I did my best. And I did what I knew at the moment to do. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. But to me, it's so liberating. It's so liberating. I don't like lies. It's so, I can't do it. It's, I can't do it. It's exhausting because you're contouring. Yeah body and your life to something that's not even true yeah but this is great thank you thank you danny this conversation with fatima provides valuable insights into the challenges and personal growth of living with a chronic illness particularly sickle cell disease Fatima's journey highlights the importance of open communication, building a supportive community, and advocating for one's needs in various aspects of life. Her commitment to honesty and self-advocacy serves as an inspiration for me and others facing similar challenges. I will never know what it feels like to be a Muslim woman of color seeking pain relief in an ego-centered, widget-processing setting. I'll never know what it feels like to be a parent of young children, staring down my mortality daily. However, hearing these experiences in real time and stories after the fact informs my consulting, advocacy, and leadership. Grateful only begins to express my feelings towards Fatima. 
I host, write, engineer, and produce Health Hats, the podcast, with assistance from Kayla Nelson and three Van Lewins, Joey, Leon, and Oscar. I play Barry Sachs on some episodes alone or with the Lechuga Fresca Latin Band. I buy my hats at Selma Gundy, Boston. I'm grateful to you who have the critical roles as listeners, readers, and watchers. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and resources through my website, www.health-hats.com and YouTube channel. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. See you around the block.